Tool Shed Art Club. I was thinking about a, a nice little elevator pitch for this, and I was thinking that it is uh, dedicated to being curious to a fault mm. um, and also exploring art in its many forms. And the idea of the tool shed aspect is starting wherever you're at, whether you have a tool shed or a basement or a storage unit or wherever it is to have your own spot to be creative or make art or, or write or paint, whatever it is, make music. That's kind of the idea. So behind we inspire the, people. Yeah, we tell them people. Yeah. Even if you have just a tool shed, you can start. You don't even need the tool shed. Well, I think everything t- starts in a garage or a tool shed because garages are basically tool sheds. I can only think of a few things that start off in a garage. Apple. That started in a garage. Oh, yeah, it did. Huh? Weezer, I'm assuming, because they have the song In My Garage. I've heard that Metallica say, no one cares about my ways. I had heard that Metallica rented a storage unit and would practice in there. And when I say I heard that, that is high school band lore. So that may not be based in fact at all. So, well, who told you it? My friend who played bass. Mm. Pretty reliable source. Well, I mean, if you think about everything starts in a garage. When I think about that, I can't think of anything. Noticing, <laughs> I named two things: Weezer and Apple. Like everything starts okay. in a garage. Cabela's. That did not. That's not yes. a garage. In a garage, the guy sewed lures together and had a catalog and mailed it out, and then it it blew up. I bet. I wonder if uh, Phil from Duck Dynasty. I bet he started making duck calls in his garage. He did. I have no idea if that's true, <laughs> but he did. I have a comedian friend that actually wrote for that show, and I could not even believe it. They have writers for Duck Dynasty? Yeah, for all reality shows, I guess. Yeah, for, like, the stories, how they want him to go. Dan Cummins is his name. Is that public information, though? Is he going to be mad when he sees that he totally just dimed him out on... I have no idea. ...in front of millions of people on Toolshed Art Club? (laughs) To the millions and millions watching at home. Duck Dynasty is not real. Oh, man. I, they're legit the, dudes, the beards weren't even real. Nah, that's a lie. No, it was, they, were, they were makeup makeup artists. Well, glued them on every morning. Either, okay, that's a complete engine. <laughs> I know that in the off season they shaved. I mean, that's the thing. Like, if you Google, like, the Duck Dynasty guys with no beards, there's a bunch of pictures because supposedly, like, they would shave it in the off season. That's Duck Dynasty lore. Well, they are. I, I don't even. They're businessmen. I thought, well, of course, they are. Yeah, I mean, you know, when they shave their beards and then they just act like hillbillies when they grow their beards. I think though that like Phil is. I think Phil is exactly who he seems to be on the show. I mean, is he the is he the one who started it? He's the. I've dad, never yeah. watched the show. Yeah, I like him a lot. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that they're that they're. I'm sure as a stand-up show, you know, it's probably like, okay, today you guys are gonna go out and try to do this, you know. I'm sure like that's the writing aspect of it, but I, I genuinely think they're good dudes, you know. Um, they, they, yeah, I think so for sure. <laughs> so what, uh, is that a mouse in the tool shed? I think that's a cat. <laughs> we, that's... Put, we put a bell, like a bell collar on the cat. But that's what I mean, man. That's what the tool shed's about. It's just the, it's just the embodiment of starting wherever you're at. The cat showed up. The cat showed up, so. That happened, you know, we have a dog because the dog showed up and then okay. the cat showed up. 
And it was just like, meow, let me in. It really wanted in. And it had a hurt eye. And then I came home from a show one night and it was like 1 a.m. And I'm watching TV in the window next to the door. It just, it peered in with its two little paw hands. It was like, meow, meow. And I was like, all right, well, I think I'm allergic to cats. Are you? Um, I think so. <laughs> I can't tell because I already have really bad allergies. I get because that. of outside, I get that. so I can't. I can't decipher between the two. Yeah, and um, <laughs> but it it came in. It lives. You know, now it's it lives in the the tool shed. What you know, farmers I feel like don't really put a whole lot of stock into cats. And for some reason, when you're saying that, it just showed up. I remember we have cats everywhere. They're well, surrounding the house, they're being born. I got home oh, at 1 a.m. Yeah. the other night. They were coming out of the corner of our property, little kittens, white ones, gray ones, scattering. Yeah. So I'm, I'm currently being surrounded. Yeah. So they just show up. One time I was at my, my friend, his dad was a pig farmer, and I was looking at something over at his house, and they had this burn pile and on it. Dude, was just a dead, frozen cat with its mouth open, and I was like, whoa, what is that? And he's like, yep, Wayne doesn't put a whole lot of stock into cats. They just kind of show up. <laughs> Like he chucked it on the burn pile. <laughs> what? Because it was frozen? It just like died and it died and it was frozen. And yeah, he just like put it on the burn pile. So next time, yeah, I was like, dang, dude. In my household, we were like- How did it freeze though? Was it- I, I don't know. Face, a face of horror? Yeah, it like died with his mouth open. I don't know how it died, but it was frozen by the point that I saw it. And I came from a household where like when a cat died, the whole family was in mourning and like- Buying a little casket and That's digging how, digging a hole in the backyard. Roll, even with our animals, yeah. But I suppose if you got cats showing up nonstop, it's just like, hey man, I can't I can't be giving all of you guys a respectful burial. <laughs> yeah, one of our one of our ducks um, got out of the coop, or we let it out of the coop, but it didn't get back in, so it spent the night outside. It volunteered as tribute. And it survived the Hunger Games. <laughs> I woke up this morning and it was outside the fence and I'm like, oh, you lived. <laughs> there was no raccoons because a feral cat, we got guineas. Yeah. Yes. And guineas are, they're weird. They got just, their head looks weird. Like the way that they're made. Yeah. Um, that makes sense. No, I know anybody who Wait, just Google's a guinea. They just look. They, they don't look right. It's like they made the body and then they <laughs> yeah, and then they jabbed in the head and that's a good way to describe a guinea. Twisted in in its head and they're like little raptors. Yeah. Well, they're smaller. You know, they're not full grown, and apparently feral cats, like they'll eat smaller chickens and ducks. So two of our chicks disappeared, Ooh. completely, vanished, no trace. Not so with the guinea. The one of the cats went in there and must have, and they're fast too. They're super quick. So the guineas are, they're, yeah, they're like yeah. So, they move like Sonic the Hedgehog. Yeah, yeah. So I don't. It must have been asleep, but a cat, and I, I'm assuming a cat because there was no like a raccoon couldn't have done it because their hands are small and weird. Yeah, and they're not. They're just clumsy. Like this thing was a, a sneak attack. It jumped on it and pulled its head out. And its whole head was in the spine, was going down. The oh, no. So it decapitated it, and then the head was uh, in another location. And Dang. It was, it was like Mortal Kombat. <laughs> it was like the cat jumped on it, pulled its head out, and it was like fatality. Yeah, that really is and like then, a Mortal Kombat finish, actually. And we had, uh, <laughs> we had a funeral 
We yeah. always have a few, and we have so many animals. Has funerals, you know, more often than I care to mention. I bet. Tell me about uh, before, right before we start talking about this, though, before we went live, we're talking about Creed. Tell me about that. What's up with that? Creed 3? Yeah, Creed 3. It was, it was going good. Okay. It showed good promise. Okay. Acting was, it was good. You know, I was, I was involved in the story. And then it gets to the end, you know, where he does the workout montage. Yes. And there wasn't, it wasn't very long. It was like a minute. It was like, no. What do you think is a respectable workout montage length? Oh, I mean, we're talking like Rocky Four is probably three or four minutes. I mean, you kind of need like three or four minutes so we know that this guy really worked out. Yeah, absolutely. And then so he runs up a hill. Yep. And in the third one. Yeah, above the Hollywood sign. And he's like, ah, you know, he yells, he roars like a lion. Yeah. Because he's going to go fight his best friend from childhood for the heavyweight championship of the world. That's like the Russian dude's son, right? Um, No, no, it's just uh, his friend from, from Crenshaw. All right, I better say this right off the bat, dude. I've never seen any of the Creed movies. Okay. I've seen I, all the Rockies, but I haven't watched any of the Creed. And I don't know why. So Sly Stallone, he was real heated. He's not in the third one. And there was like a fight, like he wanted the rights to it. Oh, yeah. I don't know why they didn't put him in the third one. I kept meaning to look it up. I had heard that like in the, was it the second one where it's like, I've got cancer, I'm going to die. And then all of a sudden, like Stallone made it about him where he's like, just kidding. I'm on the comeback too. This movie's actually about me. Is that what happens? I, I thought saw it. I, or something. I haven't um, seen it. Yeah. I mean, it should be about him. So you just hop, you, what did you do? You just skipped over the first two and you just went straight to Creed 3? No, I've seen the first two. Oh, but I mean, it was a while ago. I see. Okay. And they weren't, I mean, I really remember the first one, but not the second one. <laughs> and so the third one, he, you know, he does the montage and then it goes into a form of CGI that looks like a video game. So they're, they're fighting in the ring, but all the outside and everything, you can tell it's totally CGI. Like they're in a baseball diamond somewhere in LA and it's just the most, it looks like, like I thought that I actually was like, what is this, a dream sequence? Because it looked so out of place and so terrible huh. that I didn't know. And I'm like, oh, no, this is actually the fight. And then at one time, it just turns into like the boxing ring. It all goes away and it just turns into a graveyard. And then they're fighting like with like a graveyard and fog or something in like a moon. And then it's like, am I, did someone give me LSD? <laughs> What am I watching? This isn't the same movie. And it's so bad that it, it ruined the entire movie and destroyed it. You got to have that real authentic like vibe to Rocky where it's raw. Yeah. You can't have them fighting in a CGI movie theater or a CGI video game. It, d- dude, I, that's insane. It, it reminds me that Stallone has kind of... He, he's been a little bit of a storyteller with the first Rocky. Now, I, I absolutely love Sylvester Stallone. I have to preface it with that. But so he was telling people, or he had in a book about the making of Rocky, how they basically shot it in one take, and that he said that the live crowd was confused because they weren't sure if it was a real fight or not, which I guess is like completely not true. Like it was a movie, and it was filmed as a movie, and there were takes and different angles. But if you ask him about it today, he's like, 
oh yeah, that's uh, you know the crowd thought we were really going for it, so they they were confused. They weren't sure what to do. Well, he took some hits. I, mean, I guess first one, I mean, they this takes lunch into each other. I don't know, man. I that some of that stuff. And, you, then, and then in like Creed three, he sees like he sees he's like Spider Man. All of a sudden, it's like, and then he like moves out of the way, and like it's slow mo. Oh no! Punches the side, and the and then the the fat on the side. He got spider fat sense. On the side goes like and like ripples. And then yeah, and then so I'm like, is this? Are they turning like Creed into like a video game type thing, like what they did with Fast and the Furious, where it's like, hey, this is this is full on fantasy. Yeah, I checked out of Fast and Furious after you know like five or whatever. I do, I do want to watch. I, the you made it to five? I think so. I don't I even know. I made if it to two. The second they went to Tokyo, Tokyo Jams, dude. Tokyo Drift, Tokyo Drift was cool. I call it Tokyo Drift. <laughs> Drams. I think I you Tokyo need to give Tokyo Drift, uh, now that I'm an accent, I call it Tokyo Jams, you need to give Tokyo Drift the chance, I think. But I want to watch Creed, I just haven't yet, but I, I need to now. And see, I, see, I'm what, I am what a director wants in a movie goer, because I buy into it, and if there's any plot holes and I get confused, I just blame myself. I'm like, oh, I wasn't paying attention. It wasn't until like a couple years ago where I started to realize that some major motion pictures have huge potholes that a 10-year-old could point out and they still uh, get pushed through. Yeah. Okay. Oh, that was, that, was Vin, that was Vin Diesel. He said, what did he say? He said, uh, Tokyo Jams blows. <sighs> Dude, it's his least favorite. Call him back. Call him. <laughs> he's just on speed dial. Well, okay. All right. Tell me when you, tell me when you saw him. Hey, Vin, what up? Hey, let me talk to him real quick. Tell him, or I just need you to talk to him for me. Hold on a second. Uh, tell him that I said that Tokyo Drift is actually a pretty good movie. All right, I got uh, Matt over here, and he says that Tokyo Drift is his favorite Fast and the Furious. That's that's cool. What does he say back? He said, um, he said you're wrong. That his he was he was too soft. His mid his midsection was too soft in Tokyo Drift, and that he doesn't like it because he's not even in Tokyo Drift. He's not. No, he's You're not. not even in. Oh, that's why he said he hates. Oh, uh, okay. Got him. Tell him. He must be a true fan. All right, tell him this. I've been wanting to tell him this my whole life. Triple X is a white trash person's dream. All right, Triple X is a white person's white, white trash, trash person. person's dream, and the reason why is because. He gets to do all the military stuff, but with no discipline. You do all the military stuff with no discipline. Yeah, and then, um, and that's pretty much it. Just like no accountability at all in any no accountability. All right, hang up on Vin Diesel, right. dude. Well, he hung up a while ago. He's on his balcony smoking cigarettes. I can't believe Vin Diesel's out here saying that. Speaking of movie stars, though, dude, you, with your movie star best friend, Witnessed a murder with Adam Devine a couple weeks ago. Yeah, they uh, this dude was just sawed-off shotgun. <laughs> Two of them pulled him out of a trench coat. Gang, gang, blew him in half, and we were like, "Oh!" <laughs> and you and Adam took cover. Um, no, we were like, you know, we told the guy that got blown in half, we're like, "Get, get him quick! He's oh, gonna he's... get away!" But he was dead. <laughs> <laughs> Tell. This is Sarah. an actual person. I know, Dad, but it was. <laughs> <laughs> All right, tell us the real story of the quote unquote. No, I you, I got to L.A. and 
Ubered to Adam's place in the Hollywood Hills. I honestly don't think that the Uber was a necessary part, part was, of the story. It was a Tuesday. <laughs> well, I'm saying Uber because I want to mention the fact that I drove through Los Angeles. Oh, okay, okay. And that it looks like the set of RoboCop. Okay, from that makes 1980. sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Like, I've I mean, tents everywhere. There was a woman wearing just underwear and then started pulling down her underwear and just scratching her butt cheeks with both hands really <laughs> fast. Like, yeah. And then I even told the Uber driver, I was like, that lady's butt itch. It's <laughs> like, you, oh, you saw that? And you know what was the craziest thing? My, I guess this is nuts. The My Uber ride, it was a dude, it was a Mexican dude from South Central. Okay. So you would think that I, a white man from Nebraska, getting in there and then him, Mexican dude, South Central, born and raised on the playground is where he didn't spend most of his days <laughs> because there was a gang rift. And if he went to the playground, he would have been shot and killed. Amen. And so, you know, he was, he was unable to play ball. And so you would think that this dude is like the Democrat voting for Democrats. That's what the media would have you believe. Of course. Okay. Not true. This guy, hardcore, started playing me TikTok videos of Glenn Beck. <laughs> Told me about the 15-minute cities. Granted, he is driving me around, and he's like, oh, you got to check this out. So he's playing TikTok videos and teaching me about 15-minute cities, about how, like, in the future, they're just everything will be within this uh, block that they put together. Like, so you won't need a car. You won't need anything. Like, everything will be, you know, at your... At your fingertips. With that 15 minutes. And yeah, and then they'll have 15-minute cities everywhere, and we'll all be like imprisoned in these 15-minute cities. He was doing that while he was driving in LA. Yeah. That yeah. seems like a quick way to get a horrible score as an Uber driver. No, I gave him top score. I mean, of course he did, but I'm just saying that's pretty risky on his part. <laughs> um, yeah, he's going on and on and telling me like all these like conspiracies. So I even told him, I go, this is why the media lies. It would have you believe that, you know, I would be the conspiracy Republican. And that you would be the Democrat who just wants to hook up with Nancy Pelosi. <laughs> is that what the media's narrative is about Democrats? Yeah, that everybody that like the sexiest people alive for Democrats, Joe Biden. Gang gang. And Nancy Pelosi. She and Feinstein. Them. Like that is, that's, those are the heavy hitters. Those are the true beauties. Can I say something real quick? Yeah. Nancy Pelosi does have heavy, heavy hitters. You see that picture of her at the beach? Are we talking about her? She has big boobs. Yeah, she does. She does. <laughs> does she really? <laughs> she does. Dude. Yeah, she. Does. Uh, I'm gonna pull up the picture. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, the fact that you're like heavy hitter. <laughs> Let's yeah. see here. Uh, but keep going. No, I mean, um, these are. I don't even know. What am I even talking about? <laughs> um, now, now all you got me is. Well, she's like a hundred. Here you go. Those those look like the cans from the lady on There's Something About Mary that tans too much. <laughs> that, you know, like those conservative, those. I, I mean, those are so leathery. I, I feel like those are uh, true saddlebags. Conservative entertainment has kind of come to come together in acceptance that Nancy Pelosi's got them heavies, though. So, so they're, <laughs> they're voting for her? I, th I think so. I think public opinion has changed on Nancy Pelosi. So, all right, so you're driving through L.A. Uh, I don't know why I just pictured her in that scene in Liar Liar <laughs> with Jim Carrey. Oh, uh, like, I mean, 
I want to squeeze. <laughs> Mama, this just needs you below. <laughs> All right. So what about that movie where he can't say no? Do you remember that one? Uh, yes, man. Yeah, yeah, that one. It's like the same present. Like I know, premise. That she could have been in that movie too. Is that the sequel? No, it's just a movie. I don't, I don't that remember is, what that it is. Zoe Deschanel. But there's a scene with an elderly woman, and he can't tell her no, and uh, it's pretty horrible. But anyway, so you're driving through RoboCop LA on your way to your childhood best friend's house. Yeah, and there's, you know, this guy's like 15-minute cities, you know, the apocalypse is going to end, there's tents everywhere, there's uh, crackheads scratching their butt cheeks, broad daylight, sun fully, fully illuminating their body, nowhere to hide, no shadows, just their bare butt. And yeah, so then we get to- That's the way God intended, yeah, by the way. He, he drops me off and- Hold on one second. Is that a duck? Well, uh, we had to take a little bit of a break here, which the audio people may not notice. They're just going to hear the clip, but the people who are, are watching are going to see that you're also wearing different clothes. And I'm holding the chihuahua. <laughs> Why did we have to take a break, Austin? This is horrible. Uh, our One of our main ducks that we've had since we started the homestead, Lulu, uh, seizured out and died in front of my 10-year-old son while we were recording it because... The males, um, they committed an atrocity. Right. And they, they raped the poor duck until her legs broke. And we saved her. Which is like got, common for Got ducks? rid of the males, yeah, during mating season. That's insane, dude. And um, yeah, so we separated her and put her in like a little cage. And my son went to check on her and she just uh, looked into his eyes, he said. And then she went... <laughs> <laughs> and her neck broke backwards and then she died and the lights went out. Um, so I had to go there and then I had to change my shirt because it was covered in, in uh, duck mud. I'm, I'm trying like so hard to... Mud mixture, mixture. And then Levi, the chihuahua, he was following me and he was like, I just want to be held because he's 15. And uh, so I said, all right, I'm not going to deal with this right now. We got to call Brendan. So we're talking about, you know, you and you and Adam in high school. We ended up talking to, about music. And, and uh, I know Brendan uh, uh, from Wheatus. And so I texted him and was like, hey, can I get you? Can, can we put you on the show? Now, I didn't know that this was going to be interrupted by a horrible, horrible, you know, duck passing away. Um, so we're going to have to cut this in. But I, Brendan said, yeah, I can do the show. So, yeah, let's go ahead and uh, we'll give him a call here. Yeah, Brenda, when we, we graduated in 2001, and then when we moved out to California, um, Teenage Dirtbag was a mainstay. I mean, we played that over and over as we headed to the coast. Wow, so what, what year was that? That would have been, we moved out there in 2002. Oh, wow, so it was early days, okay. <laughs> yeah. This, this is interesting, I love, so like, uh, I, I, so, so, um, so I always, I always fascinated by that period because, you know, Teenage Survey came out in, in uh, August of the year 2000. It was released in America first. And um, it, it made a little noise, but it really didn't do anything on the American charts. And by the time, you know, November 2000 rolled around, we'd been on the road for four months or five months at that point. And, um, and we were playing 
shows that Lawrence Anderson in front of two people who thought we were Smash Bros. <laughs> 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 hey, wasn't Lawrence, Kansas was an awesome place for live music, though. Did you like that place? It it's still one of my favorites. And I'm being perfectly honest, we that was the show, that two-person show in Lawrence was one of our favorites. For the first and only time ever in my entire life, I got, I smoked weed before I went on page there <laughs> and, and played a brand new song that was really tricky, a song called Lemonade, which since has become one of our fan favorites, but, but at the time was just this brand new track. And that's kind of showing you like where we were at, like any Turpeg had come and gone at that point. It was, for as far as we were concerned, it was kind of over. You know, so we were trying, we were trying all kinds of new shit. And, um, and what we did that night, we never repeated that whole, like, smoke weed thing. We never, <laughs> never went on stage high. That was like, like, what happens if we do this? Like, really dumb idea, too. Because it was just like, I was just scared. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, um, but, uh, after that, it started to get momentum overseas. So Australia was first and then, um, and then uh, the UK and the rest of Europe kind of happened. And we wound up living in uh, London for like two years. Like we left America. And I'm always fascinated by stories of people who were like, yeah, man, you know, summer 2002, summer 2003. I was like, wow, like I'm in America? Like, was it really? Like, I, I it always surprises me. And, and you're one of those people. So that's kind of weird and rare and interesting not just him though brendan adam divine was one of those people too it was adam divine's favorite song back when we when we moved out to california that's crazy i i never i had no uh understanding of that i had no connection to what was happening in america with our music uh from about 2000 late late 2001 through you know right after september 11th was when we really really started to establish ourselves overseas and we um we we were like uh, gone, you know. So anytime anybody's talking about like oh that that period, you know, it's so strange to me. We had no connection to it. We didn't feel it. We didn't experience it. We came home uh, to New York and still lived in, you know, in my mom's house, kind of like cause we weren't we weren't going to be there long enough. Didn't I didn't actually have a home in America from about two thousand end of two thousand and one through two thousand and four, and then two thousand four. I moved to Brooklyn. Dude, let, hey, let's talk about y your mom's house too real quick. So you actually recorded, did you record Dirtbag in her house or that first album or what was recorded at your mom's house? The entire first album was recorded in the house I grew up in. And that, that hit was recorded at your mom's house? Correct. Dang. 100%. That's an awesome. The version you know uh, that became a hit was recorded in my mother's house. <laughs> so, so I did say like during the 90s, um, I moved to the Lower East Side when I was about 23, uh, about 96 or so. And um, I lived and worked in Manhattan, uh, working with other bands, making other records, and all the while kind of working on the first, what would become the first Weedist record. And I didn't show it to anybody for a long time. So 96, 97, well, I was like kind of like, I started it in 94, the last year of college in, in Scranton, Pennsylvania. But from that period through moving to New York, um, 94 to 96, I was like workshopping the record on my own. Yeah. I wasn't showing, showed nobody. I was like really scared. And um, 
at that point, 97 or so, we started playing shows. I got my brother in the band. Uh, Rich Lee, was a bass player. But we still were only on like our second or third iteration of the recording. So they were like, we re-recorded that song and a bunch of other songs for album one like four times Damn. before we got, we hit on the final one, which was done at my mother's house. <laughs> and that was after we got the record deal. So we were like, we were super cautious and super frugal about the whole thing the whole time, basically betting on the fact that it would never happen. And, you know, right around the time that you and Adam were enjoying it in California, we were really convinced it would never happen. <laughs> That's crazy. We were like, we were like people without a country. We lived somewhere else because people cared about our music somewhere else. And we came home, nobody knew who we were, you know, it was just like that. So, um, what a strange turn of event. What you guys were like into it so strange wasn't it on the soundtrack for like loser technical note it was not actually on the soundtrack but it is the opening song in the film um <laughs> so it was, it was weird like a jam like we're just we're like we're like this delic of like of like alternative rock and like, <laughs> we're just never quite there you know i was like who's this guy um but uh but the uh the um uh, the movie used it as the intro shot, which I was really proud of for two reasons. First of all, um, the Blues Brothers is my favorite music movie. Like, it's hands down the best one ever made, if you ask me. Just a musical movie. And um, the opening shot is uh, Jason Biggs talking to his father, played by Dan Aykroyd. And I felt like I had my song playing in the background while Elwood Blues was on the screen. Yeah. <laughs> I was freaking out. I was like, this is the coolest thing ever. Of course, like fast forward from that summer when the movie dropped to what you guys were rocking it in California. We were living in mom's basement while we were home. You know, it was like <laughs> so many expectations had come and gone, you know? Oh yeah, man. I know that. It was, it was, it was a good couple years for, uh, for reality, if you know what I'm saying. Did you guys ever play at the Ranch Bowl in Omaha? Oh, man. I, I don't know. Okay. The honest answer is I don't know. Maybe. Because I'm wondering if we got into it. We used to go to a lot of shows at the Ranch Bowl, and it was like a kind of a music hub for the Midwest. And so we saw like a lot of bands at the tail end of the 90s, like um, Good Charlotte, uh, wow. Less than Jake, like a lot of punk bands and stuff. So I was just wondering if maybe you had came through and that's kind of... It's possible. Can I tell you a funny story about a good Charlotte show early on? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I love those guys. They're, they're really fun, good people. Um, and early on, we was like, I think it was August maybe or early September of 2000, we played our first festival. And it was with uh, E6, Good Charlotte, Nine Days. Um, uh, Marvelous Three, Cowboy Mouth, all these uh, two skinny J's, all these really like interesting, fun like. Oh, dude, we were huge two skinny J fans. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so that's a great band. That's an underrated, fantastic band. Everybody go stop listening and go listen to two skinny J's right now. <laughs> um, but uh, the um the vibe then was like yeah, it was like at, right after Woodstock '99 just happened, right? And this is the following summer, the the stench of 
like new metal is still kind of like festering like a piece of salt or like on the ass on the asphalt you know like so kind of like and the, the other bands that didn't play new metal that were sort of indescribable and this was one of those festivals that hosted a lot of that right um like as max from eat six would say sort of like you like all rock you know? <laughs> yeah <laughs> so, so um so it was that and we're we bust into we're on stage and uh Joel and Benji come on stage during Dirt Bag, and the festival's kind of popping, and it's really fun, and we're working our way through Teenage Dirt Bag, and I don't, I can never remember which brother it was, but one of them did, like, a sprinting stage dive, like, ran from the back of the stage really fast, jumped, and came up a little bit short, um, and clipped his shoulder on the barrier. Oh, Oh, and broke and broke his collarbone. <laughs> oh man! <laughs> it went from it went from well, this was like a harbinger of what kind of a, of an autumn we were gonna about to have touring states for the first time, right? It's like this happens, and then like it went from this glorious, like sun drenched, you know, uh, mountainside Pennsylvania moment to ambulance pull it up, you know. Oh, that's proven. Perfect. It was great. Yeah, that's that's the worst too because he was still like projecting into the audience. <laughs> then with the broken collarbone too. Yeah. So I I don't I mean I caught like I caught most of the commotion out of the corner of my eye of performing, singing, and playing guitar at the same time. Right. So yeah. I, I caught I caught a flash of him like jumping in, and like all of a sudden like something's wrong. The crowd stops jumping. He's on the ground. Security's running. <laughs> He's got bones sticking out of his neck. Yeah. I was supposed to, was supposed to be watching the crowd surf right now. What, what happened? Uh, you know. Brendan, how long are you going to be overseas? Are you coming back to America and then you're going back out in September? Or how's that work? Yeah, I'm just, I'm just out here for a week. Um, and then uh, we're back in, uh, in New York working on... We have a, if you go to weedus.com forward slash show to see the whole entire uh, like touring agenda. I think there's like 66 shows happening this year or some crazy like that. And, um, 45 of them are in the UK and Ireland. Yeah. Um, and the rest are festivals and uh, club shows and dates that are, are shaping up pretty cool. Um, I was thinking we, we should do like a we should do like a full episode in like July or something when you when when you're in the U.S. because Austin is a wealth of knowledge with a lot of that music stuff. He's actually working on a documentary about the Ranch Bull. So, um, did, yeah. So he's talked to you. It was you who's interviewed all those bands, right? Yeah. So far, like um, Three Eleven and Blue October. I mean, the list we've we've got like forty five people down. But yeah, it would be fun for us to just do a, a full episodes because you guys could talk about that that period in time uh, uh, a lot. So we should was, definitely schedule. It was the best music of all time. <laughs> do you agree? <laughs> but count me in, man. I mean, I mean, I love nothing makes me happy into out of somebody else recalling fondly a time where I was like felt like I should have kept my day job. <laughs> <laughs> so did you make the album in the in your mom's basement or garage because so, so no no garage there was no garage in the house okay um, had the basement so we were we, we had the drums and the guitar amps and the bass amp where all the loud stuff was 
space. We ran the cable. We ran the cables all the way up to the dining room, and we completely annihilated the dining room with gear. You know, like ice racks of recording gear, and like the console is on the dining room table. There are pictures and there's footage of this in the in the documentary that Vice did. Uh, about about TD Sturpeg. Yeah, I want to check that out. And there's a lot more of it in a movie that's being made about us called You Might Die, uh, which is essentially about the worst years of our touring uh, in the sort of, I would call them like the desert years, where it was like 2005, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. The years before Dirtbag started to do something again, um, before One Direction. <laughs> You know? <laughs> <laughs> man on the on the drive up here today uh on the studio because i knew we'd be talking about this period dive so i was listening to you know blink 182 and and a lot of weed so i was listening to lemonade and um okay at your last show in omaha brennan it was cool because so you know i was there and you it's the first time i've ever had a band where you guys were just like all right what songs do you guys want to hear and i kept yelling out songs and I yelled out that song, Tipsy, and I think it was Tipsy. Is that the one that you guys weren't able to play? I, I always wanted to ask yeah, we you. Didn't have that, well, that, that, we didn't have that one worked up. Dude, that song should have, is that a cover song or what? Like that, I don't understand why that song was not like the biggest hit because I absolutely love, it's an amazing song. People need to look up Tipsy by Weedus if they have not heard it. Thanks, man. I really appreciate that. Um, no, Tipsy's a kind of complex song. I, the, the, from the seventh album it's the leading thing, single from the seventh album which is not finished yet and <laughs> the seventh album is sort of we're experimenting with like really 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 heavy sounds okay like, uh the trying to make a record that is not metal with the sound of metal that i grew up kind of like playing a lot to like the sound like is injustice for all with not and the sounds that the fans use but not actually metal i'm also incorporating like a lot of jazz stuff like but when i say jazz i don't mean like neoclassical stuff jazz i mean like um like the old version of jazz where it was like pop standard because jazz used to be pop music yeah in, yeah in the 40s 30s and 40s of course pop. so so like i just kind of getting back to those those feelings trying to merge those two worlds uh the original like pop chart standard jazz from the 30s and 40s and like the tones of 80s 90s metal um, well that song that I'm, I'm glad that that song will be a, a leading single on it man because that is an amazing song do you remember um austin will think this is funny so brendan would be like all right what song do you guys want to hear and this is like you know a couple songs in and there is this group of chicks and they just keep going teenage dirtbag and it's like well we're not doing that yet <laughs> so the whole the whole show they're just obnoxious and uh afterwards brendan looks at them and he's like Hell for me would be being stuck in this room with you while you yell at me to play teenage. <laughs> 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 oh yeah, but it was funny. It was it, it was not mean. It was funny. It was genuinely funny. So the other thing, I brought my sister. I brought my sister to the show, and Brendan signed the the my poster, and he said uh, to Mr. Magoo. And uh, Brennan had asked my sister if I had any childhood nicknames, and she's like, Mr. Magoo is what they would call me when I was a baby, which I didn't even know. Brennan learned that that was my nickname before I did. So Brennan signs it, and he's like, 
hope you're not mad. And I'm like, oh, I didn't even get it. And my sister's like, we used to call you that when you were a baby. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, I, just, I learned that when I was- like super inside joke. <laughs> yeah. 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 The joke doesn't even get it. Yeah, okay. Oh, man, that 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 was a, that show was a blast. Well, Brennan, I told you that we would have you in and out in like five minutes. It's been almost 20. So before I let you go, um, I want to see if you wanted to take part in this. So every week we're going to do a little bit of a challenge for people to- create artwork of some sort. And I was thinking, this is my idea for this week. We'll have a, some sort of a weedist theme challenge. And this is my idea for it is that the, the, the artwork has to include a duck for the, for the duck that uh, passed away, rest in peace. Uh, and it has to include a bucket hat uh, like Brendan wore in the Dirtbag video. And then the weedist logo has to be on there. And if someone wants to make a painting, a drawing or something uh, and s- send it to us on all our social medias, the links will be in the bio, we'll review it and uh, the winner will get, Brendan, if I pay for you to ship out a CD in the States, are you going to, you'll be back to sign it, right? Well, you don't have to pay me for that. I'll control. I'll, I'll, throw, I'll throw something at, at the gift pool. Oh, you don't have to do that. We'll, we'll work out the details. But I want to get like a signed Weedus CD or something for the person who wins. That'd be cool. Absolutely. But I have to say, based on your description, the duck with the bucket hat, the whole thing, there's no way we're not going to get some sort of Disney copyright infringement situation happening here. Is there a duck with right. the bucket hat? <laughs> I mean, I think there is. Yeah. Isn't like, isn't that like one of the like iconic? Uh, oh, yeah. The Duffy Duck. Right? I think. Yeah. Oh, that's like a captain hat, though. The bucket hat will be... <laughs> no, just, I mean, hey, you it could be a band. Uh, it could be Weedus as a band, but instead of uh, humans, it's ducks. Um, yeah. It, was, it, was it Lulu was the duck that... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's, a lot of, there's a lot of different ways we could take it, but uh, we'll, winner will get um, a signed CD from, uh, from Brendan, so... Um, okay. Yeah. All right. Cool. It'll man. be strangely. It will be made out to Mr. Magoo. People will be <laughs> yeah. like, "What is this?" <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let us know. If, and if you want us to have him put Mr. Magoo, well, just I guess let us know. But yeah, su- submit that artwork in. We'll have uh, all, all the links in the comments section, and we'll work out the details with that. So, Brennan, uh, thanks for coming on. And then I'll talk with you later, and we'll, we'll line up just like a legit interview. We'll, we'll zoom you in, and uh, we'll talk for forty-five minutes sometime. Okay. Absolutely. Thanks, you guys. Nice meeting you, Austin. Yeah, nice meeting you, man. Thank you. Let's wrap this up. And, um, you know, we got some surprises for people in the future. We got, we're kind of sitting on an interview with a member of the Manson family. Uh, so we'll Which show them so, more details. So, in so, <laughs> yeah, we're going to have on a guy that's like never does interviews that's 90. Yeah. That stabbed people. So we're going to go from Brendan from Weedis to a member of the Manson family. Uh, but yeah, so w- with this art challenge, like like we had said with Brendan, we want to see never some- loved me for the teenage <laughs> dirtbag that I am. We want to see some artwork and the stipulations here really is that um, it's got to, it has to include duck, the Weedis logo and bucket hats do with that what you what you will could be anything so i like the idea of um having the weedus band members as ducks yeah you could have a duck with the weedus logo bucket hat pouring out a 40 for the other duck who passed away rest in peace if you do that then um i might pick that one yeah absolutely just being respectful being respectful so and uh bias yeah 
So we'll close it out. All of our links are in the uh, social media, but I'm thinking that people, the best way for them to submit the artwork, uh, go ahead and D- DM us on social media, tag us on social media. Um, you know, our, our emails on there, all the stuff is in the comment or is in the uh, description below. So check that out. Send us what you got. And uh, the winner will get a signed CD from Brenda from Weedis. Next week, we talk to a member of the Manson family <laughs> and discover dark secrets about, you know, the Manson family. <laughs> <laughs>